This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully, your favorite Chelsea podcast and the podcast you're voting for in the Football Content Awards. Links in the description. Time is running out, though, to support us and make sure we paint the best Premier League podcast section blue. Chelsea blue with us winning and Arsenal, Liverpool, Wolves, Spurs podcast not winning. So again, Dan, one of your hosts here, would love if you could help us out in that way. But this is a match preview. That's right, Chelsea taking on Burnley, a little trip to Turf Moor over the weekend. And what better way to get you started on a Friday when you may be listening to this or before the match then a preview podcast with Sam. These are becoming a little bit of a regular thing for us, Sam, as we try to get the people ready for the match ahead. And again, I want to say, I think we're starting to really dial in the predictions. We're starting to dial in the way that the match is going to go. This might be the best piece of content people can listen to before Chelsea next kick a ball in the Premier League. And that's always supremely kind of you to to hype me up before I go on to a podcast. But I think both of us are sort of like trying our best to figure out the best of what we can give the audience and, and sort of like an insight and through the hard graft of watching the teams and sort of like going through games and putting all these numbers together. So hopefully we can do a, a good job of it. We're still sort of like learning what the best format is. And hopefully we're warming up for the Champions League next season so we can do like... Uh, Previews are the big ones. So I think both of us are are doing the right thing and uh, hopefully it pays off next season. Look, we would love to record another 15 to 16 to maybe 20 podcasts next season just previewing the matches that Chelsea would play in the Champions League. But we have some work to do before we get there, and that is a match against Burnley. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at the opposition, what's been going on with Burnley so far, how has the season started for them we're going to get into the specifics of how they've been playing, where Chelsea might be able to exploit them, getting into how Pochettino and the team are going to be taking that on, maybe some takeaways from the full match as well, and then get into some predicted 11s, talk about who we think might score for the first time for Chelsea this season in this match. You know we've been doing that. But before we get into that, we just want to thank everybody for supporting the podcast. Again, leave a five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. A phenomenal free way to support the podcast and show that Chelsea's premier podcast is what you're listening to right now. You can also go on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as hit the bell icon to get notified when we drop videos. We're dropping all, almost all video podcasts of every single episode we do now. And look, it's caused quite an eruption of commentary on the YouTube comments. People are loving the behind the scene looks. They're digging when Nick gets a little bit of bourbon in him, when Brandon is recording from a remote location, people love it. You would love it too. Go sign up and subscribe on YouTube as well. And look, you can join us on patreon.com forward slash London Blue Pod. Great way to support the podcast as well, but not required, just recommended. As we get into it though, Sam, Burnley's recent run, you know, they ended up beating Luton. Luton actually looked like they might be able to take some points off a side in that match. They got a little bit embarrassed by Newcastle. They did advance across over South Ford in the League Cup for nothing. And then it's basically been outside of the cup games a really, really rough run of fixtures. Losing the Villa on opening day. Lo- um, beating Forest in the cup, but then losing to Tottenham in the league, drawing with Forest in the league, and then losing to Man United, which Man United has not been doing too well, but was still able to show up for that match. Just maybe at a a high level, is there a couple of words that you could use to describe the start of Burnley's season? Um, Well, it's, it's a tough one to say, to be honest, because I have actually enjoyed watching them. You know, I think that the results haven't done them justice. I don't think the numbers do them justice, which is uh, quite a bold thing to say because usually people say the numbers don't lie. But in terms of, I think, performances, I went back and I watched about two, three games. I watched um, games against United. I watched the ones against Spurs. And they actually look really, really good in the first half. I, I thought that their performance was was pretty strong. Um, and and company's got them playing a very bold brand of football. I think the issue has been 
that in the championship they had certain players and they couldn't renew them uh, in terms of their loans they couldn't um, pay the the fee sort of like required and they've had to go and buy new players and for example the the center forward that scored the most amount of goals for them in the premier league this season Lyle Foster only ja- joined them in january um last season sorry uh, yeah when they were in the championship so um he's basically had only 6 months with them so um it's a bit of cutting and changing and figuring out a new 11 they've got a lot of young guys with with unfulfilled potential so i would say that you know they're probably us with a shittier budget to be very honest so i think um they're also trying to find their feet it's just hard to do when you're making um you know you're finding your feet in the league yes but you've also had to move a level up from the championship to the premier league so i think they've just um been hit from both sides and and they're sort of like trying to to not get winded again and then just find a result from somewhere so they got it against luton um it's just interesting to see whether they can sustain that over the long run but uh, i would say i would say they're a good side with a lot of unfulfilled potential and somewhere along the season they are going to show it so what you're telling me is that the investment from the way that it was worded when burnley announced it was that us sporting power couple nfl star jj watt and kalia watt when they announced their investment to burnley football club at i think may of this past year it didn't have the same rexham level effect no that didn't happen <laughs> well i mean it hasn't happened yet but i i think that um i mean i'm i'm i haven't watched the netflix series to its you know from start to finish but i would say that the level of investment that they made at at rexham's level when they bought it was kind of unprecedented there and i think it was it, they did some convincing to guy to get sort of like a player who had to drop down the league and instantly become sort of their top scorer so I don't think you can ask somebody from above the Premier League to come down and and do that job for them. So I think it's it's been tough that way. But uh, they have made smart signings. I will give them that. I think when I'm looking at somebody like Zaki Amdouni, um a couple of other guys, for example, Mike Tresor who in- coincidentally ended up having the most amount of assists in Europe's top 10 leagues. I think he had 24, uh which is quite a staggering number. He was above De Bruyne by about 8. so getting those kind of players the the unknowns hidden everywhere in europe and and getting them to the premier league so i think it's a bold step uh, it's kind of like again i reiterate it's something that we've also tried doing and uh, it does look like the players are good you know they they're not looking like they're out of place so it might be a step too far for them um who knows they might end up dropping into the championship because they're 18th now but i i think that if they have a 2 3 year plan they just might spring back up again very very soon but it does look like a solid plan in terms of recruitment and uh, i i genuinely think there will be a run of like four or five games when they can show uh, the ceiling that they have and and uh, hopefully we'll get to see that and um, hopefully they'll stay in the premier league it does look like a good side with good people so hoping and wishing for the best for them but uh, after the match is over with us always important to add that level of context one of the things that i found a little interesting but when you dig in deeper i think it starts you start to get the picture or understand why it is this way their home record right now 00 and 4 0 points and their away record 1-1 and 1 4 points the home record though involves a match against city which was the opening day match not the villa match a match against villa a match against tottenham and a, man- a match against manchester united generally sides that you would just accept are comfortable and capable enough to travel pretty much anywhere and get a result and i think that maybe is the best endorsement you will ever get out of me for tottenham united and and maybe manchester city but in general those are sides that you would expect a newly promoted team even one that has been in the premier league in the past decade would struggle competing against when they come back up even though turf moor has generally been billed as a place that players do not like to play and so i think that would be one thing if people are looking at some of the stats or looking at the way that the record breaks down peeling back that one layer it helps paint the picture appropriately or reveals why their home form has been so poor it's just been their visiting the visiting teams have been much better opposition for them than the away matches that they've had a chance to go into 
That's a really interesting point. But I would also say that, you know, the general term Burnley, the the sentiment it evokes in you has been a quite a consistent image, I would say, in, in the past edi- editions of the Premier League. For example, you would know that they would be physically very, very competent to the point where they would overpower a lot of teams. Extremely compact, you know, Sean Dyche was basically um, the guy who was the forefront, the, the face of the entire team, just very hard to beat, extremely robust, uh, very good at set pieces, extremely good in the air, and they would go just back to front very, very quickly. Now, Vincent Company has just changed all of that image, and he's made them into this exciting side, which is trying to f- uh, play a very free-flowing kind of football, uh, possession football. They showed that in the championship, just trying to adapt those principles in the Premier League, extremely aggressive, young side, not a lot of experience. Their oldest player, uh, Goodwinson, uh, he came basically in 2016. So he's been there for seven years and he was one of the old guard, but the rest of it is around him is just completely changed. And they look a lot more comfortable playing through a press. They they feel like they want to have more of the ball. So I would say it's a it's a identity shift, like completely. It's Burnley as the fans of Burnley haven't known it. And when that happens, obviously there will be ups and downs, but... Um, I've quite enjoyed them. You know, I've, I've really liked watching the kind of stuff they're doing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think fans will be surprised how how good they look in certain spells. It's just that hopefully they won't do it for, for more than 10 minutes at a spell. So, uh, I'm expecting a good game. They've given, given sort of like good teams, like you mentioned, visiting teams, good halves. I thought they were better than Manchester United in the first half. I thought they'd given Spurs quite an equal footing until they conceded in in like 45 plus 3. But uh, both those sides faced, you know, difficult spells against a Burnley side. So uh, there could be a, a surprise in store. Well, hopefully not a surprise in store. Historically, if we just look at the last 20 matches head-to-head that Chelsea have played against Burnley in all competitions, it's 13 wins for four draws and three losses. The last loss coming in August of 2017. Um, I mean, that, that you know, was a good, good campaign year for Chelsea. So uh, it was a three, two, uh, three, two loss there. But even in some of the most tumultuous times of Chelsea last season uh, was a draw one, one at, at home. And then an away, uh, away victory of four to nothing, um, and that was the uh, in in March fifth of twenty twenty two. So, things to kind of keep in mind, or to give that additional level of context that we might want to take into consideration. But we're going to get into the style play in just a moment. We're going to take a very quick ad break, and when we're back, it's all about some of the ways that Burnley have been trying to get it done, maybe not fully, but looking to get there. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of U.S. streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to NordVPN dot com forward slash London is blue to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes you a messier computer, which is obviously great. Don't forget, there is literally no risk with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund, and you can pretend like the entire situation never even happened. You you know the, the deal here. Chelsea's whole last season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, like the name of the podcast, to get your subscription started today. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. All right, Sam. So I know we've talked a little bit about this, but just generally the style of play, you mentioned this whole idea that the Burnley supporters are not accustomed to this. I do remember that there was 
maybe a Patty Power advert or some campaign that was effectively a Burnley supporter or Burnley supporters talking about the fact that they almost with the level of culture shock that you talked about and ringing up the Burnley front office to prank call in and pretend they were upset old ladies on the fact that Vincent company has them playing expansive football and trying to do things differently. And it's a, a breaking away from the norms I, I do think that is very evident when you watch even a couple patterns of play, but in the work that you did for this preview, what else have you seen and what else would you want to point listeners or viewers to in into what they need to know about this Burnley side? Well, interestingly, I think they do retain a sense of verticality in terms of trying to go back to front very, very quickly. So that's, I think, um, ingrained in the Burnley identity, but they've they're trying to do it a little differently. They're trying to get away from, you know, just crossing into the box and having physical strikers sort of power it in. They're now looking at more skillfully sort of using the flanks, trying to minimize the amount of crosses they're trying to put in. They're trying to be a little more creative, conservatively, like without losing possession of the ball. So I would say that in that sense, there's been a tactical shift. It's a possession side basically trying to to find solutions on the fly. So they've got a young side, like I mentioned, which likes to press. So they have a, they have a variety of formations that they've used already. So they've used a 4-4-2, they've used a 4-3-3, they've used a 4-2-3-1. In the, in the first game against Manchester City, they used a very defensive 5-4-1. It just looked like they were trying to avoid catastrophe on the first day. But other than that, I think they've just been a little more expansive. They've Try to play their identity of football. Um, and then it entails being on the front foot, trying to win the ball back. Some of it, I would say, are similar identities or parallels to what Pochettino did at Spurs. If they feel like they can't win the ball back, they retreat into a more compact mid-block. They will wait for you to come away from the goalkeeper. In now, like in the Premier League, a lot of sides do use the goalkeeper as you know, the plus one or to create numerical superiority. So they will wait for you to come into midfield. Then they will jump and then they will try to win the ball and go back to front very, very quickly. So they do retain that that verticality. They will try to do that as much as possible. But they've also added some nice, exciting players. I mentioned Amduni, the, the Swiss attacker who's um, accomplished at playing on the left-hand side. He's also played as a striker when Lyle Foster was injured in between so uh, he can play left and as a as a center forward by himself or as part of a front two. They've also got this lovely Italian winger called Coliosho, who's uh, has been fun to watch. He just loves dribbling, loves running at players. I think he's going to be an electric threat on uh, left or the right hand side wherever he plays. A lot of the times when I was watching Burnley try to switch the ball to him, isolate him against um, weaker one v one threats. So if you've got Zasi on the right hand side. And then they managed to get a 1v1 against him. That could be trouble. So that's something that we need to keep an eye on. If it's going to be Kukurea, um, you know, 100%, that is also a good solution to have against a, a... But again, Kukurea has had his struggles. To his credit, he's done very well in the past couple of games. So hopefully that continues and we can sort of seal that threat off as quickly as possible. But they do have good 1v1 threats. They could have... Um, they have like movement. They have a lot of threat up front. It's just unrealized. I just feel like it's very raw. It's lacking edge. There's a lot of chaos, but it's not refined. And then that's what I think is hurting them. They haven't been able to convert it as much as possible. But the intent, 100% is there. So I would say the two games that I saw the most uh, important takeaways for me were against United, like I said, better than United in the first half. Second half, it was a little more balanced. but they did cause United a lot of trouble by drawing the press from, from the front three, from the front four, asking Bruno, Hoyland, Rashford to come at them and then going through the press and then quickly going through the midfield, through the centre usually, and then spreading it out wide. So United did struggle from that. They should have gone 1-0 up. Um, Amduni actually ended up hitting the post from a very good chance. And then United scored a wonder goal like they always do. And uh, Burnley lost 1-0. And uh, against Spurs again, I think it was quite evenly matched. It was 1-1 for the longest time. And then Romero scored a worldie. But a lot of the time, they were trying to to press Spurs 
and got some some change out of it. You know, they tried pressing Udogi, uh, the fullbacks for Tottenham sort of come inside and invert the term is used to sort of like talk about the movement coming inside to the center. So they press the fullbacks very, very well. If it's a narrow shape, it's easier to press. So they did show that they were able to energetically keep it up all game, win the ball, try to get it up front. They managed to score two against Spurs. They, they had, I think, 14 shots on the day, which is one of the highest that they managed in the Premier League and against a good side. So um, they do have threat. It's just, I feel like it's not come together for them yet. And they're struggling to put together good moments to create a good game. It's just happening in flashes and in moments across the game. So I think that's something that we have to be careful about. They will have good spells, 100%. They will have 15 minutes, 20 minutes when things click. But if you can wear that out, if you can if you can ride that storm, I think the rest of the time, um, we will have the opportunities to cause some real damage. It's just up to us to, to take those windows and then hope that we can just, you know, discourage them and sort of dishearten them and not give them the second win. I think that's going to be the strategy going forward. You know, it's interesting when you point out a couple of these things, and I wonder if we're going to hear about this in the weaknesses that they potentially have that could be exploited is while you may mention that they are potentially Chelsea-esque without the the big budget, they do have a much tighter and smaller squad relative to the players that company is looking to to support. I mean, you've got four players who played almost every single minute. You've got several players in, in the Premier League. You've got multiple players in the high 400s to 500s that play. So in general, very consistent starting 11, even with the high rotation of players out of the side and Burnley having to bring in new players, that that's giving company something to build off of where maybe Chelsea have been stymied at parts of the season because we haven't had the consistency or the moment we start to find consistency with players, they end up injured. Company has not, at, as of yet, run into that issue, and so he is getting a benefit of building that side. But it sounds like, conversely, or what we're seeing is maybe the conditioning isn't as strong, particularly going up against a couple of these sides, and that's leading to this drop-off in match. It's interesting you uh, sort of mentioned the injury part because I think he did sort of struggle with injury and, and sort of like trying to figure out what his best side is. I think he's still trying to figure out I mentioned Mike Tressor, the guy they got from, from Belgium who had the record number of assists. So he's only made two appearances after he joined the club. And I don't know what the plan is with him, like what they're going to do, how they're going to integrate him. But he's probably just being sort of like slowly eased in. They've also lost like Lyle Foster last season. And I think against Luton, he went off injured. So I'm yet to sort of get any update on whether he's available against us. But if that happens, like earlier in the season, it has happened for him already. He might have to move one of the wide guys up front. And, and that's something that has proved ineffectual against good sides because they're just not good in the air. They're not good at hold-up play. Um, again, like I mentioned, inconsistent, not getting a proper game time in the Premier League in their first position and then having to do it in a secondary position, which they're not very well accustomed to. So I think that also is sort of like, wreaking a little bit of havoc into his plans. He would like to, like you said, maybe have 10 games where he's had his strongest players available consistently. He's trying to do that as much as possible, but he's also trying to integrate a couple of the other guys they lost. Like Matson, for example, um, you know, was a, a pretty key player for them last season. So he played at left back. They've had to bring somebody else on and start somebody else on the left-hand side. I think Charlie Taylor is playing on the left-hand side now. Um, so... It's just basically trying to get these new players in and get them to gel together. Kind of what we are trying to do, except that they haven't had the volume or the frequency of injuries that we have. But there are some issues in terms of integrating and finding nice rhythm or finding a nice balance to the side. So I think that's the that's the issue. But other than that, I think um, that's where the comparisons stop. It's just a matter of Premier League level exposure rather than you know, us where it's just injury-enforced changes. Well, the the one that people might feel like there's comparison as we get into the weaknesses is they're struggling to finish, but the issue is 
both a struggling to finish and struggling to create. Creation is not the chance creation is not Chelsea's problem. It's finishing up until the most recent match against Fulham. But why don't you run us through that in addition to maybe a couple other of the points that you found or areas that you would highlight as weaknesses in this Burnley side? Yeah, but like you mentioned, I think uh, just like Fulham, they are struggling immensely to find any sorts of goal or creativity from from elsewhere. So like uh, Lyle Foster, the South African uh, striker forward, has basically scored three goals. And in six games, other than him, only three other players have got a goal. So one each for Zeki Amdouni, one for Brownhill, one for Jacob Brun Larson. So, I mean, it's just been extremely hard for them to get any consistent goal return from anybody in the team. Um, they're yet to manage more than four shots on target in a Premier League game. So they're only managing about 10 and a half, 10.8 shots on average, which is extremely low. They're also on seven big chances created, which is the second lowest in the league. And they've also missed five, which is also the lowest in the league, but not in a good way because they're not, they just don't have enough chances to miss. So it's just a very sorry tally in terms of creation, in terms of finishing. So it sort of explains why they're 18th and struggling to get results. And um, I think the overall problem has been like, for us, it's just been finishing. Like we have been creating, we've been managing enough shots. I think there have been some games where we almost touched 20, but um, Burnley are sort of like struggling to do that. They're struggling to convert. They're struggling to just, get their foundations right, which is something that I think will be giving companies sleepless nights. So attacking is is definitely, definitely an issue. And so what are the, a couple of the other ones? I think that there is maybe the way that their line plays, how they look defensively, maybe in the air in particular. I know there are a couple other areas, both from just how they play and maybe even positionally, where there's maybe some rotation that you would highlight as an area of concern. So I think companies trying to get them to play a, a very high possession, uh, high pressing kind of play. So they're definitely trying to get more of the ball, win it back in in good areas. So that sort of entails pushing your defensive four back and then sort of like getting them across the halfway line. And what's happening is that they tend to get caught up quite often. A lot of the sides have exploited their tendency to to get their line high and then struggling to recover as soon as a ball is played in behind. So something that I mentioned, um, so it's something that I sort of figured out when when Aston Villa did it was they manipulated it in two ways. One was that in sort of like what you would call a rest attack, when you don't have the ball, how does your attack look? So instead of um, keeping a very compact shape and like three attackers behind the ball or just around the ball, they had Watkins, Diaby, and one more attacker. Basically, three attackers kept against um, the last four of, of Burnley's defenders. So it was three versus four. And it was a ball from around the centre-back area over the top uh, for Watkins to chase. And as soon as that became three versus four against three very quick attackers, uh, Burnley were all over the place. They just didn't know how to handle it. And then they conceded. And uh, another way that it happened was Watkins just basically played on the shoulder of the four and he just ran uh, and tried to push and pin the the back four sort of as deep as he could close to the goal. And then Diaby arrived late, about like five yards behind the line to score a cutback from, from the wing. So the defensive line tends to be very adventurous and they have to be because then it allows your midfielders to sort of push up and, and assist in the pressing and you're trying to minimize distances. But it looks like they lack the quality to deal with anything that's played behind them or anything in terms of dueling is, is, an, is an issue. I think quality attackers, like getting 1v1 against, if you put, say, Mudrik or, or Sterling or even Jackson, for instance, somebody who's very good with the ball at his feet running at defenders, I think that's somewhere we can definitely exploit them. So, so that's something that I would keep an eye on. Uh, I would also so they, say they're very poor in the air. They're susceptible to anything that comes from the air. A lot of the chances I saw in other games um, came from corners, came from set pieces. They've already conceded three from from defensive set pieces. So corners and uh, and free kicks combined, they've, they've conceded three. Against Luton, I think every corner that came in resulted in a shot. Uh, it just went on, on goal or like just zipped 
very close to the crossbar. So it does look like they struggle with anything close to the air, which is a pity because we don't have aerial guys in our attack. So I don't know how we're going to exploit that. We don't have Gusto, who's probably our best crosser. That strategy might be something that would be ideal to sort of figure out, but just might not be exploitable by virtue of what we have or what we don't have. So, but it's still good to remember on, say, maybe set pieces when you've got three center backs. You've got Silva, you've got Desazi, you've got Colville up against guys who've, like, for example, um, a couple of their defenders, three or four of their, three out of four of their defenders have an aerial win percentage of around 28 or 34%. So, um, it's going to be brutal against guys who like going up in the air like Thiago Silva. So hopefully there's something to to sort of work on there in, in terms of set pieces. And uh, if I were to look at other things, then the one thing that stands out is that they've had six errors leading to opposition shots, which is the highest in the league. So they tend to take risks when playing out. Like I mentioned, company wants them to be comfortable on the ball, to to have the ball, not just clear it mindlessly. But against a scaled-up opposition, which is <clears throat> far more experienced in, in cutting those things out, they've, they've made mistakes and they've ended up misplacing passes into dangerous areas. One of their goals, I think Almiron's strike um, earlier in the season, came from Charlie Taylor sort of like putting the ball across field um, and the ball just went from the right side to the left side. And, and Newcastle were just able to intercept a square ball and, and it resulted in a goal. And that's happened a, a couple of times. They've just given us stupid passes. So maybe pressing them, maybe putting them under pressure in, in certain situations might pay off for us. So that's something I would keep an eye on too. And individually, if I were to look away from the team, then Connor Roberts looks like he's a little bit of a weak link at, at right back. So maybe isolating him against Mikhailo Mudrik would be a good idea. I, I wouldn't you know, try to mess up and, and play maybe Matson there or something because he has an injury in his squad. Maybe that's enforced. But as much as possible, I would definitely try putting Misha up against um, against Connor Roberts at right back. So 100%, um, that's something in terms of getting the ball to him, switching it to, switching it to him as quickly as we can, I think would be a viable strategy to use. And something that I've also noticed is that the goalkeeper tends to exit out of pressure with a long ball to the right side. So it's always a long ball to the right back who is sort of like just a few yards short of the halfway line. So if you could get Colville to to cut that ball out and basically recycle it as soon as possible, I think, again, tactically speaking, you could have an in uh, from that side of the field. So left side is left side for us, right side for them is maybe a weak spot. So if anyone's listening uh, from the Chelsea team, recruitment team, from <laughs> from the coaching team, you can leave me a DM saying if I got it right, if I got it wrong, I uh, would be very, very happy. But um, yeah, I think I think that's that's one way that we could definitely give them problems. Well, if they are listening and they haven't highlighted that, A, we hope you have. B, if you haven't, just please take that under advisement. We're going to take one last ad break. When we get back, we're going to talk about with understanding all the weaknesses, with understanding how they play, what Chelsea, what Pochettino might be looking to do against Burnley this weekend. So stay tuned for this last ad break, and we'll be right back. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that they make hiring all in one place. It's easy because, well, candidates you invite are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in the search. When you get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with a quality candidate, it makes it go faster. And when you're looking to hire, the quicker you get the right person in the role, the better. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. All right, Sam. So I think there are questions that we want to try to tackle as it relates to what is going to happen in this match? Maybe some personnel questions. 
you know, I think in the last episode we talked about Mudrick getting an opportunity to start against Fulham. He's kind of continuing that run of starts. Looked really bright in our last match. It just seems like there's some things that are starting to partially through injury, partially through improved performances or synergy between players on the pitch that are starting to come into focus. But now it seems like as we've understood now what the left-hand side is likely going to look like, a Levi Colwell left back and a Mudrick left uh, left wing, the question now is on the right-hand side. We saw Cole Palmer get an opportunity to start and look impressive, but Raheem Sterling come in to end up replacing him in the, the, the closing parts of the, the match that we had just recently. What are your thoughts about how the attack might line up? Um, and maybe in that question of Palmer versus Sterling, the, like the pro or con case for starting one or the other. Well, it's, it's certainly a dilemma, a good kind of headache. I would say for Pochettino, I've been very impressed with Palmer. I think in a front line, which is full of players that like ball to feet, He's somebody who has an eye for space. I would say that he uses the ball in a way that none of our attackers do. He's constantly looking for runs in behind. He's not afraid to to shoot from long distances. So he's also unsettling uh, deeper block situations and and long-range shooting is the best way to do that. You basically threaten them uh, and force them to step out of their comfort zone. So he's probably somebody who does that best. And um, in terms of penetrative passing, in terms of, I would say unlocking defenses, maybe next to Enzo, he's probably our best bet. So if you do have him in the side on the right-hand side, I would say that it does offer a little bit of variety, does offer a little bit of a a diverse threat for us to figure out how to unlock Burnley. But then you've also got Raheem Sterling, who I would say movement-wise is exceptional against a side that is expected to get their front line, so sorry, their back line a little high up the pitch to try and press us in situations. I would say that there is there is a lot of scope for Sterling to to attack the space in behind. And we've got a lot of players who, who are capable of playing that long ball. Silva does it regularly, Colville does it, um, Enzo does it as well. Caicedo's got a lovely long ball on him as well. So, you know, if you want to exploit space and get somebody 1v1 with their fullback, I would rather have Sterling than Palmer. Palmer is very good, but he doesn't have that electric pace. Doesn't really want to take on. He wants to to try and sort of thread the ball uh, across spaces for runners. And I think um, it'll be interesting to see what Pochettino does. I think it'll be Sterling who starts, but I wouldn't be disappointed if if Palmer starts as well, because I think he's got he's got the the threat to to make something out of nothing. So you know, it's 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 okay for me whoever starts, but I do think Poch will go for Sterling. So if Pochettino goes for Sterling, I guess the maybe the other question is: Does Palmer offer more if you're playing centrally and in a game where you actually might be forced to have more possession with the way that Burnley is looking to play? Would Palmer start as a top of the midfield? offering or option like is that maybe where he slots in so the pass map from the last game um interestingly against Fulham instead of a 4-2-3-1 it looked more like a 4-3-3 to me so it looked like Gallagher and Enzo both were playing as advanced midfielders we saw Enzo making a lot of interesting runs on the left hand side and Gallagher was participating in these rotations on the right hand side um there was this lovely move with Kukurea which allowed Palmer to to get the ball and and sort of like put a through ball in for Breuer on the right-hand side. So um, both of them were functioning as, I mean, close to what a Mezala would be, you know, an attacking midfielder or an an eight who's basically going into wide positions, who's also offering threat from from wider positions. So I would say that both of them played a a three, sort of three midfield and two eight system against Fulham. I don't know if that's a one-off thing because Poch mentioned that it was to to counter Fulham's midfield. Um, he wanted to counter their four four two with with three midfielders. So maybe that doesn't happen. And Palmer was basically a little more um, in the narrow sort of half spaces. He wasn't you know a touchline winger as such. He was narrower, and that gave us like interesting options on the overload on the right hand side. Kukureya wasn't overlapping a lot. He came 
uh, I think a couple of times bombing up. But other than that, it was just three guys trying to build an overload on the right-hand side. So it's interesting for us because if you want to isolate Mudrik, that's a good way to do it. You basically build pressure on the right-hand side. We know that Burnley sort of defend in in a block that is a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2. Um, they're also capable of doing 5-4-1, but they, they want to be in a position where they can attack as soon as they win the ball. So they don't want to commit too many people to defending. So if you've got four people and you can shift from the right to left immediately, then Mudrik's got a good chance going up against possibly their weaker link on the right-hand side. So um, it does work. I think Palmer would offer that option. But again, Sterling offers a more a different kind of option. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. You know, it can play out differently on one day. But um, yeah, it's just it just picking your, I mean, picking between two wines, you know, it, it's a matter of taste. In terms of picking between two wines or two different vintages, you have the question now between Nico Jackson, who'll be back after his one-game suspension for card accumulation, and then you'll have Armando Broya, who gets an opportunity to be listed either on the bench or come in as a substitute or start. And both of them have scored recently. And so now the question begs, is Pochettino going to go back to Nico? Maybe from like a fitness perspective, we know that he's had more time. Maybe there would be an element of still thinking about getting Broya back up and ready. Was really only able to make it those 60 minutes in the first match. What are your thoughts there? I think it's a straightforward decision for me. Jackson has to start 100%. I think like you mentioned, Broya's fitness is an issue. He basically started cramping up a little on the 60 minute mark. Um, maybe would have had to play longer than what is ideal, considering Raheem was sick and couldn't train um, from Friday until the game night. So um, I think that was an enforced change. And we you know, would have probably regretted risking Breuer, but we had no other option. So I would say go with Jackson. He's done pretty well. Must be eager to go out there after the goal he scored against Brighton. Should have had two, um, except for horrible refereeing as usual. But um, I think he is he is probably going to get the minutes. And, and he should. I think he offers a lot more than Breuer does. I think Breuer is a great reference point. He showed a lot of things that surprised me as well. Because I, I've watched him before his injury. And I felt like there were a lot of things he needs to improve. And, uh, you know, he did show that he's as agile as he was. You know, which was surprising to see. So hopefully we can ease him back in. And we can rotate them later on in the season. But uh, right now, if I had to make a choice, it has to be Jackson. I right. And then I think the last question that we're thinking about is, are Chelsea going to continue this pattern of maintaining less possession to create space, to create passing lanes? You know, we saw Levi Colwell take advantage of it, Enzo take advantage of it, Palmer take advantage of it, Gallagher take advantage of it. There definitely was a positive impact in the last match than the match prior where by giving up some of that control going away from winning possession actually resulted in Chelsea winning matches. And so will we see this continued theme of Chelsea being comfortable under Pochettino with the players on the pitch where they will cede possession in order to create opportunities, which does stress the defense potentially a little bit more, but we do have a joint third best defense in the Premier League right now. So maybe we feel comfortable with that risk reward. Mm, well, it's interesting because I felt like some of our numbers against Fulham had dropped. Um, I don't have the numbers against Brighton, uh, but we basically had 39% possession on that day. Um, against Fulham, we had 44. And I would say the first half was very good because we created a lot of big chances um, and we took most of them, which was more important. But um, I, I did feel like we did struggle in the second half significantly. And that lack of control may have contributed a little bit into it. Um, but if when I was looking over the numbers, it basically said that we had the least amount of progressive passes, passes into the penalty area and key passes in any game this season. And I think a poor second half was just overshadowed by the relief that came from finally winning in the sure. Premier League, plus two goal cushions. So I think like the bad was overshadowed by the good, which is a good thing in the in the short term. But if you have to look for a run of games and and especially the run of games that we have coming, 
um, then you consider the big picture and say, okay, there was instability from giving the ball away and like sort of like having four possession and then sort of like making sure that you've got additional space to attack, which tends to suit our attackers. So maybe there's a balance to be had there. Um, Burnley do have an affinity for the ball, so can be exploited. It's it's not a bad strategy. It's just, can you can you take back control and momentum when you want to? And, and if that team is capable of doing that, then I would say then uh, there's a good chance that you get to exploit those situations. So... Um, it's interesting. I think we've looked better in terms of chances, in terms of like running in behind. Mudrix looks better. I mean, he's he's not starting take-ons from like positions where he's closer to goal and he's had to like dribble at two defenders. He's against Fulham. He was getting the ball closer to the halfway line where he was able to run at the fullback 1v1. And he gave Castagna a couple of problems in that first half. So... Um, maybe there's a there's a strategy to be re-emulated against Burnley and hopefully the left-hand side will will give us a lot of joy. You know, when you look at it, you want more first-half Fulham where Chelsea had 45% of the possession but had five total shots with two on target, whereas Fulham had the 55% of the possession but one total shot and one off target. You want more of that versus the second half, which was... 56% possession, percent of possession to Fulham, 44% to Chelsea, nine shots total to Chelsea's six, three shots on target to Chelsea's two. So first half Fulham, replicate that. Don't maybe get into the situation unless you're up by two or three goals where you're giving up possession in areas or spaces that's allowing them an opportunity to work themselves in the game. It's not less about having possession. It's about where they have the possession and what they do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Possession is a very futile stat. You know, it doesn't tell you anything about the game. You know, some teams consciously don't want to have the ball and tend to do better without it. So I would say, like you mentioned, it's just, is the strategy paying off long term? And is this their control without the ball? And if if that's the case, and if you can rely on um, a defense that's kept three clean sheets, um, then yes, I, I would say that go for it and and try to be in a more compact shape, something that Pochettino did a lot at Spurs, especially in the big games. Like they didn't want the ball at all. If you remember the game against Dortmund where they spanked them 4-1, I think. Um, they just basically sat back and then as soon as they lost the ball, tried to find Heung-Min Son and, and Kane on the break and ended up just blitzing Dortmund out in their own stadium. So it just looked like a good strategy. But if that's... If you can take advantage of the fact that now even mid-table Premier League sides are being more adventurous with wanting the ball, then maybe you can you can exploit it. But it just like I mentioned, you don't want second half Fulham again because we were very lucky not to concede. I will say, um, and and we don't want that happening and and spoiling a nice clean sheet. Well, we hope that Robert Sanchez or Bob, as we call him when he's doing a good job, continues his run of form and continues being tied for most clean sheets in the Premier League. But as we wind down this episode, Sam, it is about time where we talk about who is going to be in that starting lineup against Burnley this weekend. So what have you got for us? I think we've penciled most of the players in, but it feels like maybe two changes for you, if maximum. I think it might just be one. Um, Yeah, I think it will be two changes. I think so. I think it'll be Jackson in for Breuer and Sterling in for... um. Palmer. I think those are the two changes that happen. Again, I reiterate, these are not changes I want. I think these are changes that will happen. <laughs> so um, I think those happen. And what about you, Dan? I think, uh, would you be sort of like looking at the same change or do you think Palmer sort of gets the nod? I would almost start Palmer again, just knowing that it's something that worked for you and maybe you should try to build it back or run it back. So I think this means that Sanchez starts between the sticks, that you have Kukurea and Levi Colwell as your right back and left back uh, respectively with Disasi and Silva as your center back pairing. Then you advance forward and you have Caicedo, Gallagher, and Enzo as your midfielders with Mudrik. I feel like Jackson will get the nod as well in addition to, I think, Palmer. So... We're expecting between the two of us no more than two changes to the starting lineup, barring any late fitness news. But minimal changes expected for Pochettino as he goes and looks to get Chelsea a third win. The first 
three-game win streak Chelsea would have in quite some time across all competitions if he could make it happen, and it would be the perfect time to do so as it is the last match before the international break and a return at that point to facing Arsenal at home. Given that we know there are a couple players still who have not registered a goal for Chelsea, we'll end it with the... If a Chelsea player is to score for the first time this season, who would be the individual that you would expect gets a goal in this match? And then what's the projected score that you would offer to the listener? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, um, I, I would have definitely loved to say Misha, but I'm really happy he's got his goal. Um, I, I do still want to pen him in as as the most likely to score in this game. Um, mm. Him or Jackson. I think one of those two guys is probably a best scorer, but... Um, considering how bad they are in the air, I would again go with maybe Levi Colville as as the more likely to go. Yeah, Levi was the one that I had jotted down as well, considering the the argu- argument you made about their aerial or lack of aerial prowess, as it were, and the fact that they were potentially getting getting exposed in that area. I feel though, and maybe this is just the way that they've conceded is that in general they outside of the matches that they've won they have conceded in every single match that they have played they've been not not been able to keep a clean sheet outside of the match to forest in the cup and then salford city in the cup as well i feel like this could be another two and oh in a row I think it'll be three. I think uh, I, I might go ahead and say it, it sort of like opens the floodgates a little bit and um, yeah, with Jackson in, uh, with a lot of like guys getting a little more confidence after that win, I would say it's three. I, I, I want to be more on the realistic side, but I think uh, optimism is intoxicating. Um, if I get to feel it and sort of express it, maybe now or never. So I'll go with the three now. All right. Well, we want to know what you're thinking. Let us know in the comments on YouTube or tweet at us. Send us Instagram DMs. Let us know what you think the scoreline is going to be when Chelsea take on Burnley this weekend. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much to Sam for all the hard work. Thank you so much to you for listening and supporting the podcast. Don't forget, vote for us in the Football Content Awards. The deadline is approaching. I think we got less than five to ten days to vote. So go vote. You know, the rule of voting is vote early, vote often. Just keep on voting. Uh, get a friend to vote. Borrow a friend's phone. Just do it. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Hopefully we are back doing a Burnley match review where Chelsea have won 2 nothing to 3 to nothing, and that we were 1,000% right in this episode because that would just be ideal before the start of another unfortunate international break. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.